Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here tonight, Father, and you know, thank you that you are good, Lord, and you know, that you use us, Father, to accomplish your will, Father. Thank you that you bless us abundantly, Lord, that we can go, Lord, and sow into other churches as well, Father, and you know, that's my prayer for tonight, Lord. May we all anew, Lord, realize, Father, the work that you've done in our lives, Lord, and when we realize that, Lord, may it compel us to go out, Lord, and love and serve the people around us in love, Lord. May we go, Lord, and show your love to a broken world, Lord. And thank you, Father, that you have showed that love to us, Lord. We are not here by chance, Lord. There's people been revealing your love to us, Lord. Thank you that you came to save us, Lord, and yeah, that you've given us grace, Lord, that we might know you, Lord. And we pray, Father, make us more like Jesus, that we can go and show Jesus to a broken world. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool, guys. So the title for tonight's sermon is, Like Jesus Our Shepherd, we can love because he first loved us. You know, and we're going to go through a passage of scripture, and it's one of my favorite passages, a passage that I really love. You know, and, and in the words of Corney Becker, we are not supposed to have favorite passages of scripture, but this is mine. You know, we, we're not supposed to have favorite ones. We're supposed to love the word of God and all of the passages, but we still have favorites. You know, and this is one of my favorite passages. And we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan found in Luke 10 from verse 25 to 37. And just to explain the title to us a bit, you know, maybe you're thinking about the parable and, and you're saying, you know, we know the parable. It's a parable we're quite familiar with. And we don't see the reference being made to Jesus as shepherd or Jesus as pastor. You know, why is that the title? And then just to explain a bit, the last couple of sermons that I preached, I preached on a passage of scripture found in Ephesians 4 from verse 1 to 16. You know, and the passage speaks about the body of Christ, how Jesus has come and he's given each one of us gifts, each one of us a function to fulfill in the church. We are not just called to behold some people doing the work of ministry, but all of us are called to minister in a certain sense. All of us have gifts. You know, and how the church comes to this place where we build one another up in love is, is when this special group of people that Jesus gave to the church, you know, found in the middle of the, the passage in verse 11, the fivefold ministry, gifts given by Jesus to the church. And when they equip the saints with the gifts that they carry, we can all, in a sense, carry something of that gift, a truth of, of who God is and what He has come to do in our lives. And we can build up one another when we are equipped. And the scripture says that the end goal is that we would be as fully grown and mature as Jesus. We are to grow up into Jesus in every aspect. So that, that is why the title is Like Jesus Our Shepherd. You know, because the moment we take the story of the Good Samaritan and what we get out of it is that we should go and love people better and we should do more good, but we don't focus on how Jesus would have did it, then, then we're going to fail in a certain sense. Now, we're, not, we're not only called to go and do good and go and show the world what an example of being good is. We are called to show Jesus to the world. We are called to be 
like Jesus. And that is why the title is Like Jesus, Our Shepherd. You know, we read in Scripture in Romans 8, verse 29, that those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are called to be like Jesus. That is why He predestined us, to be conformed to the image of His Son. And that is why I love this passage so much. It speaks about being like Jesus. You know, and we all wear, or some of us, you know, we wear that little what would Jesus do bracelets. And I love those bracelets, you know, the idea behind it. To constantly think, what would Jesus do? How can I show Jesus to a broken world? You know, but the problem comes in is when we try to define that for ourselves. Who Jesus is, what it was like. And what happens is we project an idea of someone who does some good things, but it's not necessarily like Jesus. So we should focus on becoming like Jesus, not just being good people, but becoming like Christ. And that's why I love this passage so much. It speaks about when we have a true faith in God and we really believe in Him and, and we love Him, we would become like Jesus. So let's read on the board or in your Bibles. Luke 10, 25. To 37. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him a question Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. And before we dive into the passage. I just want to give you a bit of context between the Jews and the Samaritans. Most of us know it already, but for those of us who don't, the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews. That is it in short. But just to explain why, when the kingdom of Israel separated into the northern and the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah, there would come wars and people would come and they would take Israel into captivity, into exile, into their own country. And then what those kings would do is they would take some of their own people or other nations that they might have conquered and they would place them in the land where they took people from. 
And what happened is in that specific area, there were some people of other nations, other cultures, other religions placed in those areas. And when Israel came back from captivity, the Israelites that happened to land there intermarried between the different cultures and religions. They became a little bit mixed. Some of their religious thought became a bit skewed, if we can call it that. And they had a little bit of a different view. So the Jews would think about these people, they are half-breeds. Now, they're not pure Jews. And they would hate and despise one another. And the hate for the Samaritans, for the Jews, was similar to the Jews, to the Samaritans. They despised one another. So much so that if someone had to go somewhere and Samaria was in the middle of where they are going to, they would walk around instead of going through so that they would not be associated with the Samaritans. That was how much they despised them. You're not going to miss something from the passage, just a little point maybe later on, but just some info. So let's dive into this passage. First verse. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And it's important for us to realize that the parable is answering this question. It's about this question. Jesus didn't see the man's answer and totally went another way and explained something completely different. The parable is about salvation. What the answer to this question is, but more importantly, how it looks like as well. You know, and, and the first time I, I read through this, I was a bit surprised. You know, the man coming to Jesus, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus knows that the man's intent is not pure. He's not really asking Jesus a question to be taught or to learn something from Jesus. He wants to test Jesus. And Jesus asks the question, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And he says that we should love God with all that we are and love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus is right. And why is that the right answer? Yeah, maybe if you can think to yourself, if someone would come to you right now and ask you, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? What would your answer be? Just quickly think about that. What did Paul and Peter say? Why didn't he say, believe in me? Why didn't Jesus say, place your faith in God? Because Jesus came so that all who believed in him would have eternal life. So why is this the right answer? This is the right answer because this is what faith in God looks like. Jesus knew that the man was a little bit deceived and we're going to take a look at that in a moment. But this is what faith in God looks like. Now, like I said in the beginning, when we wear what would Jesus do bracelets and we don't really know what Jesus said and did, we are just projecting an image of someone that we think does good things. The same thing happens is when we tell people, just simply believe in God or put your faith in God. And where it gets a bit tricky is when we let them define what that means for themselves. Especially in the culture where we live in today. Everybody has an opinion about what it means to truly believe in God. What it means to truly have faith in God. 
But God is the one that gives, defines, and demonstrates his commands. We read in 1 John 2, from verse 3 to 6, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commands. Whoever says that he knows him, but does not keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. If we keep his word, then truly the love of God is perfected in us. By this we know that we are in him. If we say that we abide in him, we ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beautiful passage of scripture. If we say we believe in God, then we should keep his commands. If we say we believe in him, but we don't keep his commands, we are lying. If we say we abide in him, we should walk in the same way in which he walked. We should be like Jesus. And I know some of us are thinking, okay, that's too much. I can't be saved. But not perfectly. None of us will perfectly go and show who Jesus was to the world. But at least in a certain extent, a willingness from the heart to go and show people something about Jesus. That is why this is the right answer. This is what faith in God looks like when we keep his commands. And then we see Jesus saying to him, right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. If you keep his commands, you know him. And by implication, if you don't do this, you won't live. If this comes very difficult to love God and to love your neighbor, and we should ask ourselves, maybe there's a disconnect between us and God. Scripture says, if we truly know God, then we will love. Because everyone that is born of God loves because God is love. There will be a love flowing through us. And not just should we do this, but we should do this like Jesus. You know, and at that moment when Jesus speaks to this guy and he says to this, do this and live, something in him is telling him, you know, I'm not quite living up to, to the standard here. I'm not doing this as I should. And then the man wanted to justify his actions. He doesn't want to ju justify his belief. He doesn't want to justify his answer, his knowledge. He wants to justify his action. And he's tend to undone this his whole life. And the moment we want to do this is the same thing as trying to define the commandments of God for ourselves. He's hearing what he should do and seeing that he's not living up to it, he wants to justify himself. He wants to define what this means for himself. Thinking about people in his life who he might see of value, benefit, you know, those near to him or those who can give something to him. Those people I love. And then he asked Jesus the question, but who is my neighbor? In other words, he's asking Jesus, who is worthy to receive my love? Who's worthy? Who can I go in and love? Who's deserving of it? You see, it's very important for us not to do the same because the moment we try and do that, we walk away and we are deceived. Because not only do we walk away not realizing that we are defining the commandments of God for ourselves, but we walk away thinking that we're actually doing them very well. Dangerous place. Have faith in Jesus. And if you define that for yourself without looking at Scripture and what it says, you'll walk away thinking you are doing it very well. But we should let God define it. And then every time I, I read past this question where this guy asked, you know, who's my neighbor? Who's worthy to receive my love? 
I get this picture of, you know, Jesus standing in heaven with the Father. And the Father is about to send Jesus to come and die for, for sins. And Jesus asks the same question. Okay, Father, I'll go. But before I go, just tell me who is worthy of what I'm about to do. Because if you show me one, then I'll go. And the question is, no one is worthy. If Jesus said, show me who, by the way they live their lives, by the love that they have towards me, who's worthy? The answer would be no one. And it's something that the religious leader, he doesn't realize. That he's also one unworthy. He's not measuring up to what God has called him to. And then Jesus explains to him this parable. And he says there in verse 31 and 32, and just to tell you guys, normally when Jesus explains a parable to someone, they are the person in the parable. In this instance, this man is all three the Jewish people in this parable. He's both the priest and the Levite and the man lying next to the road. And he's not realizing this. And Jesus says, by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side, going out of his path to walk around this person. A temple assistant, who's a Levite, walks over and looking at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And both the priest and the Levite, they knew exactly what the right thing was to do. They knew the commands of God. It was their job to teach and to illustrate it to the people of Israel. You know, and what is so heartbreaking is when the command was given to the people, you know, this command to love God with everything we are, Deuteronomy 6 Given in verse 5, love the Lord your God with all that you are. And then it says in verse 6, let these commands be on your heart. It's not on their hearts. And then it says in verse 7, and teach them to your children when you arrive at home, when you lie down, when you wake up, and when you walk by the road. These, this priest and this Levite, same as this religious leader, he is the guy in the story. And Jesus is telling him, you're walking past people that you are called to love. And you are going home and teaching the command to your children as if you are doing them. But you are walking past them every day. Going home, teaching it to his children. That was what they were called to do. Yet he walked past them every day. And he doesn't realize that he is the man lying there. And I'm at this part in the story, the expert in religious law tend to want a Pharisee. You know, he's thinking to himself, surely the next guy that is about to pitch up is a Pharisee. He's going to save the day. Surely a Pharisee. But to his surprise, Jesus says, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him, going over to him. The Samaritan soothed his wounds. He does exactly the opposite of what the priest and the Levite does. And to remember that, yes, for the Jews, this is a despised Samaritan coming. But for the Samaritan, it's this despised Jew lying there. They also despise them. But he does exactly the opposite. When he saw him, he goes over. You know, and the question that we should ask ourselves tonight is, how, how do we move to that place if we are not there? 
How do we make sure that we are not like the religious expert that is so deceived that he stands up to test Jesus? It is realizing that Jesus did this for us. And we were also the people lying next to the road. Look at what the scripture says in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And when he was here among us, he saw us and he had compassion on us. Because we are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The Samaritan showing the heart of Jesus. And each one of us spiritually is the man lying next to the road. And in many other areas of our lives, we are also the man lying next to the road in desperate need of help. We are the harassed and the helpless. And if Jesus did not come down, we would still be lying there. That takes us to the first point for tonight. He came and loved us. Now we can go and love others. You know, and this is what the expert failed to see, that he is that man lying there. You know, and, and, and we are also that people lying there. But what we should realize is Jesus did a lot more than Samaritan. He did not come from heaven and bound up our wounds with olive oil. He did not put us on his own donkey. And he did not take us to the inn. Now Jesus came when the bandits were about to attack. And he stopped them and said, I'll take that man's place. And you can beat me and strip me naked and hang me on a cross for dead. I'll take his place. Much more than the Samaritan did. And when we realize that, the king of heaven, coming down for unworthy sinners, taking our place, and something needs to shift in our hearts. Now that is why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, the love of Christ compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died, therefore all has died. So that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for our sake was died and rose again. For the one who came to take our place next to the road. And the shocking thing is the disciples, the people he came to save, they ran away. When the bandits came in the garden to take him, they fled. Only John was there. And he came to take our place. And something needs to shift in our hearts when we realize that. The love of God for us. Sending us out. You know, and this is maybe the, the difficultest part for us as Christians today. Is to step into someone else's world. To go and love them. You know the leader of our movement Heinrich. He spoke this week. We had a, um, a staff devotional on Wednesday. And giving some vision to the global church. And he says that a lot of people have the desire to go and love well. They have the means to go and love well, but they don't know the people in need of love. And Wednesday night, a small group, it was just me and Frick. We went to Aish, chatting about the pastor heart. Jesus, our shepherd, how can we be more like him? And as we were speaking, Frick also shared, you know, him and Marna, they have immense desire, they realize, to give to people. And then they also realize, but they don't know anyone in need to give to. The first step, like Jesus, to come down. If Jesus didn't come down, nothing would have happened. We need to step in 
to the lives of those we see there's hurt, there's pain, where we can go and love out of a place of compassion, knowing that Jesus came for us so that we can go and love those around us. But now the going as well, like Jesus, he also defines what that looks like you know, in this passage. And he gives us the fundamentals of, of what this love should look like. Just a, a little bit of a glimpse. Something that he's definitely not saying is that we should wait until we see someone lying next to the road. Now we go to him, were you attacked by bandits? Now was it Parker? Okay. Not for you. This passage say, says you needed to be attacked by bandits. We will have great luck in South Africa. We will see many instances where we could go and do that. But Jesus is definitely not saying you should wait for this exact moment to go and show love and do exactly the same as the Samaritan. But let's see what Jesus says this love should look like. Luke 10, 34 to 35. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. And what Jesus is saying, that this love that we should have for people is a love that cares more about people than our own time and plans. You see, the, the Samaritan, or the, the made-up person of the Samaritan, I'm sure Jesus didn't create a guy that was on his way nowhere and had nothing to do. The Samaritan was on his way somewhere to go and do something. And in their context, the road between Jerusalem and Jericho is a long road, a rocky road, mountain terrain, uphill, walks with his donkey. This is not a quick 10-minute drive to go and drop someone at Trichard with your car. If he was riding on his donkey, which he 10 to 1 wasn't because he was carrying stuff, he now places the man on the donkey and takes him to an inn where he cares for him the whole night. This is taking this guy's time and it's interfering with his plans. But the love that God calls us to is the one that cares more for people than our own time and plans. It says that the Samaritan soothed his wounds. It's a love for people that care more about people than with who we associate. If he would have come home and the people would have known, no, oh, this is that Samaritan that went to that despised Jew and took care of him. Oh, no. They would have hated him where he comes from. He doesn't care. In South Africa, and, and we need to realize this, but many of us, and I know that's something that God needs to work in our hearts, and it's been a traditional thing and, and something that's been coming a long time. But some of us have a bit of underlying racism which we don't realize. You know, me and Robin, we, we always laugh when... We're telling people, so let's say we went to an orphanage or something like that, and we go there, or Shailen, it's, it's our child that's with us in foster care, he's a little colored baby boy. And whenever people speak about the, their experience with orphans and stuff like that, they would say, the other day we were in orphanages, and there were white babies. That was really bad. And they don't realize it, but for them, the white baby in the orphanage is worse than the black baby in the orphanage. And we should let God come and let his love just come and, come and change. And I know it's going to take some time, but it will happen. Explaining that we went 
And we drove and it was at night and you know it was dark and we saw these people next to the road and we wanted to help them but we were not sure we were scared. But then as we passed we saw it was white people so we pulled over because the black people would have robbed them, I don't know, in their minds. And I, I also get where they're coming from but we need to allow Jesus to come and work this in our hearts. A love for people, not for a specific people, just for people in general. And yes, it should start at church. We should first take care of our family. The Bible also speaks about that, circles of priority. But then to the lost, no matter where they are, no matter who they are, or what they look like, a love that goes. This man's love for people was greater than his love for his possessions and finances. Breaks through that. A summary of what it looks like to love like Jesus. We should love like Jesus, regardless of association, despite our times and plans, with our possessions and finances. There's an S missing there. But with our possession and finances. And just there at the end, you are the agent of love, not your stuff. Although this guy gave a lot to this guy, he put him on his donkey, he paid for him. It says, he cared for him that night. He cared for him. And it's easy sometimes just to give out of our abundance and let other people take care. And I know that sometimes it's going to be difficult. Sometimes all that we can do is, is we will be able to give to someone else so that they can go and care, and that's fine. But just as long as we have a desire in our heart to also love, we are called to love. You're not called to receive stuff so that you can give it to love. And let's think about this joke. This lady writes, she, she wants to really share the love of, of Jesus. And when she walked into the mall, she saw a lady crying. And when she went over, she asked, what's wrong? And the lady said, I've lost my 200 rand. And then she said, so I gave her 40 bucks of the 200 rand that I picked up in front. Because when God blesses you, you need to bless other people. And this is the joke. She picked up the lady's 200 rand. But you know, the stuff that we give, that is not what should love people. We are called to love. We are called to care. We are the agents of love and care. That takes us to the last point. When we go, we are called to go and love like Jesus. God is the one that gives, defines, and demonstrates His commands. And it's when we see Him demonstrating His love and His commands towards us that it shifts something in our hearts that propels us to go and show that to the rest of the world. On that note, let's stand and pray tonight. As we are standing, let's just close our eyes for a moment. I want to just read us this small passage that, that John Piper writes about. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then just ask yourself, how is your heart towards those around you? You see, because it's so necessary for the times that we live in today, a very narcissistic time when we need the love of God to come and destroy the narcissism in our lives that we can love other people well. And to make sure that we are not deceived because sometimes we believe, and we truly believe this, that we don't have the means to give, but we're still going on a three-week holiday in December. I'm not saying you shouldn't go on holiday. 
I'm just saying there cannot be such a great love for self that you're willing to go and treat yourself for a three-week vacation, but there's no love to give necessary needs to someone around you. Speaking about their food, their child's education, shoes that they can wear to school. But we say, no, we don't have the means. We're going on holiday. We need God to love to come and break that narcissism in our lives. And again, I'm not saying, don't you know what I'm not saying? I'm not saying don't go on holiday. Just don't let those things prevent us where we're so focused on ourselves that we don't believe we have the means to give to those around us. We cannot live in access so that those around us can live in poverty. God blesses us so we can bless others. He wants to move through His church to show love to a broken world. Let's just close our eyes. There we'll be standing and ask yourself, how is your heart to those around you? John Piper says, as I see it, the meaning of the command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is this. Our Lord is aiming to call into being loving, compassionate, merciful men and women whose hearts summon them irresistibly into action when there is suffering within their reach. And to that end, he demands that they again and again ask themselves this question. Am I desiring and seeking the temporal and eternal good of my neighbor with the same zeal, ingenuity, and perseverance that I seek my own? And today, I think with a resounding no, we all can answer that. We will never fully live up to this standard of always loving God with all that we are and always loving our neighbors ourselves, we will rarely meet that standard. And we will always have to ask God for grace to empower us so that we can go and love better. Yes, Lord, as we standing here tonight, Father, we just want to come and pray, Father, and lift up our hearts to you, Lord. And firstly, I want to come and say thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are gracious. And thank you that you are patient with us, Lord. And we as your church, Father, we ask, Lord, that you come and do a work in us, Lord. That we can experience your love, Lord. That some of us need to realize anew, Father, what you've come to do for us, Lord. And sorry, Lord, sorry that as we grow in our relationship with you, Father, and, and as we move from that day when we, you first saved us, Father, that we sometimes think that we added a little something to our salvation. We know it was by grace alone. And we need you today like that first day that we called upon your name, Lord. And thank you, Father, that you came and took our place. And some of us here tonight, you remember that, that area where you were laying next to the road. I know I remember mine. And maybe for some of us, even tonight as you're standing here, there's an area in your life that, that you're feeling like you, you, you're like that man lying next to the road. Left or dead, there's no hope. Lift it up to God. He's the one that heals. He's the one that helps. And yes, Father, thank you, Lord, that as we examined our hearts tonight, Lord, we can come with honest hearts to you, Lord. And know, Father, that we're lacking, Lord. We, we rarely will meet up to this expectation, Father, but please come and do your work in us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here working in hearts, revealing the Father and the Son to us. And we pray tonight, Lord, that we might experience you, Lord, in a deeper way, that we can go and show you to the world in a better way. Thank you that you are good, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.